Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, last Wednesday, the leader of the Māori Party, Rawiri Waititi, made some comments in Parliament which appeared to breach a court suppression order. Uh, The comment was made during question time when the ACT leader, David Seymour, was questioning the Prime Minister about his reinterpretation of Seymour's joke about sending in Guy Fawkes to take care of the Ministry for Pacific Peoples. Waititi then made a comment at a supplementary question to the Prime Minister, which frankly took away the breath of everybody in the House at the time. Seymour himself was quickly on the case, alerting the Speaker to the seriousness of what had just been said. Well, the Speaker has now considered what was said, and yesterday he ruled that what Waititi said was grossly disorderly, so after a vote of the House, he suspended him from Parliament for 24 hours, which frankly is a slap on the hand with a wet bus ticket, because Waititi wasn't in Parliament anyway yesterday as he was away prancing around on a catwalk at Fashion Week in Auckland. Doesn't that actually tell you something about the guy doing a media photo opportunity is deemed more important than facing the music for an egregious breach of standing orders? I was bemused, though, by the Speaker's ruling on whether or not to take the matter further and refer a Waititi to the Privileges Committee. Adrian Rurafe said he wouldn't because discussing the matter of these court suppression orders runs the risk of the court case and those involved being discussed again in a way that breaches the suppression orders again. To be honest, the guy who has the name suppression should not, in my opinion, have it, and the reasons being given, namely that it could affect the result of the election, are just spurious because he is not a well-known political figure. To make matters even worse, though, the comments made by Rawiri Waititi, while not yet published on Hansard, or they weren't as of last night, are easily discoverable through on-demand Parliament TV. That's the bizarre thing about this case. Waititi said what he said, but the media couldn't report what he said or show it on the TV news that night. But you and I can look it up and find it easily. So how do you solve that problem? Well, the answer is that you can't. It's yet another reason that name suppression laws in this country should be reconsidered. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Uh, It's a fascinating exercise to go looking for something online and then discovering something different, although sort of related. You see, I was intrigued by a line in the Simon Wilson column in the New Zealand Herald yesterday saying that the Maori Party had received less than $100,000 in donations since 2021. That may or may not be true, but as I've pointed out before, they've received plenty of money through party president John Tamahiri's organisation, the Waiparera Trust, in the past, and $50,000 from Tamahiri himself as recently as July the 17th this year. 
But what I came across when looking for, for information about the Maori Party's donations was a full list of the big ladles of dosh going towards various political parties, and it was intriguing, to say the least. The list of declarations of more than $20,000 since January the 1st this year was right up to date as of yesterday, the most recent being Cheryl Adams, the wife of Tauranga businessman Sir Paul Adams, putting in $29,000 to the National Party yesterday. Many of New Zealand's rich and famous are on this list, are mostly donating to either National or ACT. There's $59,000 from David Richwhite to ACT. Chris Meehan from the Winton Property Group with $103,000 for the Nats. Auckland property developer Mark Wyborn with $100,000 for New Zealand First. That's on top of $50,000 from him for the same party back in July. And $100,000 for ACT from the country's richest man, Graham Hart. That's just a sample, but you know, the lefties have a few rich friends as well. Philip Mills from the Les Mills Fitness Empire has given both the Greens and the Labour Party $50,000 each. And film director James Cameron and his wife Susie also slipped a lazy $50,000 the way of the Greens back in June. The Greens actually seem to do better than Labour in getting the big individual donations. Much of Labour's big money, as we already know, comes from the unions. The Dairy Workers Union gave $50,000, E2, uh, $90,000, and the Meat Workers, $35,000. But there are also some big individual donations for Labour. Dick Hubbard, the former cereal maker, Mayor of Auckland, he put up 100000 as did a woman called Isla Little of Dunedin. The most intriguing, though, was this one, $100,000 for the Greens from the Weft Knitting Company of Sydenham in Christchurch, a company that makes garments out of both merino wool and synthetics. So I guess the Maori Party must specialise in small-dollar donations, so we don't know if they have any rich benefactors and friends apart from John Tamahedi himself and his Waipurera Trust which is not supposed to give money to political parties because it is, after all, a charitable trust. But that's another story. What this list tells us, though, is that there are still plenty of people with pots of money to give to a political party. And that's just fine. What the wealthy do with their cash is their business. The funny thing is, though, apart from Philip Mills and James Cameron, you never hear much about who the left's rich friends are it's almost as if they're embarrassed to be named. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio members and join now. All right, to some of your correspondence now and feedback, which has come in through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. This is from Don Sinclair. Peter, I just heard you talking about why are we running a school with only two kids in it? I think you're referring to the Tyree Beach School in an article about that in the Otago Daily Times last week. I was, Don. Uh, but you also point out that the Tahakopa School only has two children in attendance also to date, and it only had one child for the first term of this year. Well, you could say, Don, they've doubled their role by 100%. Uh, but yeah, it's just madness, isn't it? Why are these little country schools still existing with just one or two kids? 
Like I say, 60 years ago when my father was the principal or the headmaster, as they called it in those days, the headmaster of country schools, as soon as you got down to a roll of uh, 10 or 15 kids, the local education board closed you down, put the kids on the bus to the nearest town. Uh, Also from the text line, love it, instability, there's no name on this, instability and chaos is how Hipkins described New Zealand first. If that really is what Hipkins thought, he'd jump at the chance of including New Zealand first. Instability and chaos is what Labour is all about. These are the very aims of even a middle left-leaning government of the day. Not sure why. Uh, Thank you for that. And then I talked also a couple of days ago about our voting system and the integrity of it. Uh, This is from an anonymous writer who says... On the subject of our voting system, I too have no doubts about our system until it's proven otherwise. But I've heard you mention a couple of times that each party has scrutineers in each polling station. I worked in a polling station in the last election and never saw a scrutineer from any party in the 10 days our polling station was open. I know they're allowed to be there, but I never saw one. I live in a regional town. Perhaps they show up in bigger places more. However, I was impressed at how the whole system worked. The vote boxes were locked away each night. On the final night, we as a group had to count the votes for each party, add it all up and match the totals with the numbers on the forms. If we were even one number out, we had to start over. Hard to imagine how that could be messed with. I'm going to be working for the elections again this time. It was fascinating. Just thought I'd let you know. Please don't read out my name. I won't. But thank you so much for that. And no scrutineers at your polling station, but obviously they do exist at some of the uh, polling stations in the big cities. But good to know that the operation is such that there is very little chance of vote tampering going on in New Zealand elections. And we like to hear that. Uh, Thank you for your correspondence. Inbox at realitycheck.radio or you can do it via text at 2057 or find us on Facebook. Search for Reality Check Radio. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now, sometimes I wonder if politicians, especially local body politicians, just want to really, really piss us off. I mean, how else could you explain some crazy scheme which we here in the South might have to put up with about how fast we can drive? For instance, in my general neighbourhood, the Queenstown Lakes Council, it's not the local authority I live in, but I drive there reasonably often. Anyway, the Queenstown Lakes Council want to slow Wanaka right down. At the moment, the speed limit in town is 40 kilometres per hour anyway. Now there are plans to reduce that to 30 kilometres an hour or lower. This is part of the council's SMP, its speed management plan. What's even worse is that there are about 20 roads in the area where it's proposed the limit will be reduced from 100 kilometres per hour, these are country roads, to 60 or even 40, and another 30 roads with 100 kilometres per hour limit will be taken back to 80. I mean, it is just nuts. This part of the world has very good quality roads, which do not have much traffic on them. 
fatal or injury accidents are a rarity in this region for those reasons. It's all being driven, excuse the pun, from Wellington, no doubt, from the bureaucracy sometimes known as the New Zealand Transport Agency. Unbelievably, on the web pages explaining the rationale behind this setting of speed limits rule and its mate, the National Speed Limit Register, is this phrase, and I quote, providing a single source of truth on speed limits nationwide. I mean, how could a public servant possibly use that phrase ever again in New Zealand public discourse? It was a disgrace when Jacinda Ardern tried to pull it during COVID, and it's a disgrace now. How can there be a single source of truth on something like speed limits? Here's another line from the website, quote, The stated objective of the setting of speed limits rule is to contribute to road safety by providing for a whole-of-network approach where speed management is considered alongside investment in safety infrastructure, unquote. So basically, the government wants to slow us down so that they don't have to fix the roads so often. You know, there are places around the country where possibly traffic volumes dictate a slower speed, but not where I live in the upper Clutha Valley. There's an old saying in racing about horses for courses. Wellington bureaucrats should remember that and they should stick their single source of truth where the sun does not shine. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Please excuse me for being a little personal here, but there's quite a big local story happening uh, not so much in my backyard, but uh, in the air above my backyard. You see, yesterday, the proposed flight paths for the Central Otago Airport, or as I call it, Terrace International, were released. When the wind blows from the south, as it does sometimes, the planes will fly down the Lindus Valley over Mount Cluden Station and Terrace Village, to land on the new runway. When the wind blows from the north, which is the wind we get most of the time here, the planes will fly up over Lake Dunstan, over my place, to land about eight kilometres further north. So to be honest, I'm not overly happy about my quiet life in the country being disrupted by big planes flying overhead to land at an airport pretty much in the middle of nowhere. I suppose it will significantly increase the value of my property for what that's worth, but I suspect considering I'll turn 70 next time around, I'll be dead and buried before this airport is up and running. I just can't see a business case to have an airport an hour from the region's biggest centre, that being Queenstown. What's more, to get to Queenstown, no matter which way you go, somebody, presumably the government, is going to have to spend millions building a two-lane bridge over either the Clutha or the Lindus rivers, probably both, because at the moment to uh, get over those rivers, we have to take the existing old one-lane jobs, one of which at Luggett is a famous old thing called the Red Bridge, which will probably have a heritage listing slapped on it in due course anyway. I note in the blurb yesterday, the proponents of this airport say planes from Asia and Australia could land there. Well, whoop de doo What about domestic flights, though? Why would you fly 40 minutes from Christchurch and then drive for an hour to Queenstown or drive for half an hour to Wanaka? 
Even Auckland to Taras won't make much sense because of the extra travel on arrival. Anyway, the whole controversy is one step further on. It is personal, but I still think it's highly, highly unlikely the airport will go ahead. The shareholders are Christchurch City and the New Zealand government. An airport costs at least $2 billion to build in today's dollars. Neither of those shareholders of Christchurch Airport Limited can, in their right mind, make a responsible decision to spend that kind of money for a piece of infrastructure that is so far down the list of priorities, it's not even on the front page. It will be a long time before we see any planes in the air tonight at Terrace International. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Making a difference. I was listening to a commercial radio station last night and noted one of their commercials, which, to be honest, I don't do very often. I have no idea what the product was, but it must have been some kind of prescription medicine. New Zealand, you see, is one of just two countries in the world where prescription-only pharmaceuticals can be advertised. The other is the United States. And look at how Big Pharma has literally bought the media industry there. I mean, you would have seen the news programs brought to you by Pfizer. Anyway, the punchline in this advertisement that I heard last night said, medicines have risks and benefits. Uh, Hello, I thought. When did we start doing this? When have public warnings on medicines advertising been brought in? Are those warnings mandatory? If they are, it's about time. It's just a pity the same attitude did not apply at the beginning of 2021 when a certain product called a COVID vaccine was given to millions of New Zealanders without them having the chance to be fully informed, to get fully informed consent, and most certainly before they were given the warning, which is commonplace now. That is, medicines have risks and benefits. Uh, To be honest, I'm yet to be convinced the Pfizer shot actually had any benefits, but that's a discussion for another day. But we certainly know it had risks. That's because two coronial inquiries resulted in findings that the deaths of two people were caused by the administration of the Pfizer medicine. Maybe about the time of the second of those inquiries that into the death of Rory Nairn in Dunedin, this warning about medicines having risks and benefits should have become a common saying on our airwaves. But it didn't. In fact, the government doubled down and has been doubling down ever since. That was disgraceful then, it's disgraceful now. At least the warning is in place now. Medicines have risks and benefits. We should have known that two years ago. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. 
some of your correspondence now, which has come in through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057 or through our Facebook page. Search for Reality Check Radio. This is from uh, the Facebook page. We posted the interview with former UB40 uh, vocalist Matt Hoy last Friday. That has been up on Facebook since. A few comments about that. Joe, Bri- uh, Joe Brody writes, I really enjoyed this interview. Disgusting treatment from the band after 12 years. I couldn't help but think the Foo Fighters did the same for all their band members. And Lincoln says... Uh, So did Rage Against the Machine. The lead singer refused to take the jabs. And Joe Brody says again, hard to believe all these creatives endorsed and enforced a medical procedure. Got to admire Eric Clapton, but what happened to the others from the 60s and 70s? Rebellion replaced with complacency. Uh, Very good. Thank you for those comments about the Matt Hoy interview. And in reaction to my little rant about uh, school lunches, how we've now passed the 100 million free lunch mark, uh, but a lot of kids, frankly, don't need it. And why aren't parents providing their kids lunches anyway? Some agreement and some disagreement about my comments on that subject. Uh, Tanya Morris says, The trouble is many take advantage of the free stuff, And don't even bother. Yes, there's a lot of these free lunches going home. Uh, Some schools, says Terza, some schools have Subway provided lunches. Oh, dear me. Another one says, honestly, I don't have a problem with my tax tax dollars, rather, going to feed kids. It's not the kids' fault they have deadbeat parents, but there has been too much state interference when it comes to parental rights. And then a couple of... Memes, I guess you call them, have come in on Facebook. Irene has posted a quote from Herman Melville, who's a famous author of Years Gone By. Herman Melville once said, Of all the preposterous assumptions of humanity over humanity, nothing exceeds most of the criticisms made on the habits of the poor by the well-housed, well-warmed, and well-fed. Thank you for that, Irene. Point taken. And then Kath says, it's a special kind of meanness to object to children being fed. And you've posted a meme of Oliver Twist, and please, sir, may I have some more. Look, Kath, I don't object to children being fed. I just believe it is the role of parents to feed their children, not the school or the state. And as I pointed out, Uh, the other day here on RCR. It is not an expensive proposition to give your kids a school lunch. This is Reality Check Radio. My address inbox at realitycheck.radio. Text at 2057 or you can find us on Facebook. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. I see that Rosemary Penn Warden has been added again. This is the Dunedin grandmother who is a serial eco-protester, a woman who was actually on bail after being convicted of forgery and using a forged document 
after a trial in Dunedin in June following her attempt to uh, call off the Petroleum Exploration and Production Conference uh, in Queenstown back in 2019. She'll be sentenced on that conviction next month. Although up until yesterday, I wouldn't have been surprised if she'd been discharged without conviction. But there she was again yesterday, this time in Wellington, holding up rush hour traffic and cementing her hand to the road, all in the name of trying to get the government to take the threat of climate change seriously. She's obviously committed to the cause, but thankfully, a hard-nosed judge in Wellington, Peter Hobbs, the brother of the late all-black captain Jock Hobbs, was having none of her nonsense, and threw her into the slammer for the night. Anyway... A few pieces of advice for Rosemary. Uh, You might be a retired scientist, Rosemary, but you really should uh, button back a bit on the climate alarmism. Maybe you could read the words of the new head of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, the very measured Scotsman, Jim Ski. He was asked recently if he considered climate change the worst crisis that mankind faces. It is, he says, one of the biggest. Now, Jim Ski, in the time that he's been in charge of the IPCC, has made a point of casting doubt on the apocalyptic claims of the environmentalist movement. This is a direct quote from the man. The world will not end if it warms by more than 1.5 degrees. It will, however, be a more dangerous world. And then in the words that could be directly addressed to Rosemary Penn Warden, he says, if you constantly communicate the message that we are all doomed to extinction, then that polarises people and prevents them from taking the necessary steps to get a grip on climate change. So there you are, Rosemary, from the head of the IPCC, get a grip. And um, when you're let out of the cells in Wellington, have you thought about going up to protest at the Chinese embassy? The latest reports you see have China increasing their emissions by 4% in just the first quarter of this year. And the country is on track to set a new record for annual emissions and solidifying their position as the emitter of 30% of the world's man-made greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, new Zealand, by the way. Frankly, Rosemary, protesting uh, the lack of action by the New Zealand government is a waste of time. Go fire some shots at the big guns like China, but then you might find yourself not treated as leniently as you are by our court system before you go back to Dunedin. And I presume that when you go home, you'll be swimming and then walking or biking home because, after all, You can't use fossil fuel to travel, can you? Because that would wreck the planet. And gee, those those inter-island ferries, they use diesel, you know. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Debanking has become quite a thing in the UK. Nigel Farage highlighted the issue when he was told that his account at the prestigious Coots Bank was being closed. But the practice has become disturbingly widespread across the country. But it is now verging on the ridiculous, the lengths to which some banks are taking it. Remember Rosemary West? She's the crazy woman who, with her equally deranged husband, Fred, killed at least 
nine young women in the 1980s and 90s. Now, Fred killed himself in jail in 1995 before he faced trial, but Rosemary is still alive, now 69 years old and doing life, of course. But Rosemary West has a bank account. It's with an outfit in Britain called the Cooperative Bank, uh, not related to the bank of the same name in this country. The Cooperative Bank likes to put itself about as being an ethical bank. In fact, that's its advertising tagline. About a decade ago, the Cooperative thought about closing Rosemary West's account, but decided to let it stay open because, uh, well, it was being used by one of her surviving daughters. Quite why the daughter couldn't have an account in her own name, uh, we don't actually know. But then, here's what the Cooperative Bank has done in more recent years. They withdrew banking services to a feminist group. They won't say which one. And the bank says this feminist group actively denied the rights of members of the transgender community. And the so-called crime of this feminist group, well... They wouldn't allow transgender women to join their group. Speaking on the group's behalf, a woman called Venice Allen said they were entitled to stick to the dictionary definition of what a woman is when it came to admitting members. Uh, That makes sense to me. Anyway, the cooperative bank chucked them out but allowed Rosemary West, killer of women, to keep her account open. What's the old saying? The world has gone mad. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show for a Wednesday. Your comments most welcome through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057, or you can look for us on Facebook. I look forward to talking with you again come Friday afternoon. Enjoy your Wednesday evening. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.